Well, you're quiet. You know it's birthday party today, yes? yes? It's the church's birthday. Not necessarily just our churches, but all churches. Uh, it's Pentecost. So reach over to someone and say, Happy Pentecost. I know that's the first thing you did this morning. You woke up next to a spouse, you turned over and said, Happy Pentecost, honey. Or if you woke up alone, you grabbed your phone and you uh, just called someone to say, Happy birthday and Happy Pentecost. You're looking at me like I'm from another planet. Hello. We hear that around the globe this very Sunday morning, churches are celebrating Pentecost. It's one of the three great events in the church year. Christmas, all those who call Christ Lord celebrate his coming to earth. Easter, the second great pillar, if you will, is when all those who are following Jesus Christ gather to celebrate that he died for our sin, he conquered death and rose again. And then the third of these great pillars of the Christian year is Pentecost. When, when Christians were, were just kind of hiding out, God sent his spirit, empowered them to continue Jesus' ministry in the earth, to spread the gospel, to make sure that everyone were, were aware that the kingdom of God has come near. That's the power of this event. This is no slight little short event that we should kind of overlook or not even do. All over the world, actually, this is a major, major church event, and it has been since the very beginning. So happy birthday to you. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. It's a big, big thing, actually. This, the people, the followers of Jesus, the early disciples, after Jesus ascended, he promised them that he will send to them the Holy Spirit. And when it came, oh, what a day it was when the Spirit himself visited the disciples, everything changed. All fear was gone. Everything had changed. There was no more hiding in other rooms. They were now out proclaiming the gospel. And they preached with a sincerity that brought 3,000 people to the Lord on that first day. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. James already read from that. We're going to read the first 12 verses with this. Just simply know that the Spirit of God was poured out and the church, the founding feast of the people of God, if you will, the church was created by God's Spirit and forever since. Whenever people have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, he has been there with them by his Spirit. Here's how it started. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated 
and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them speaking in his own language. Each of them heard him speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them describing or declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? That's almost 2,000 years ago. The church was formed right here. And the foundation that we are building on right here, even those of us who are gathered here for the second service, if you will, the 11 o'clock, 11, 15 o'clock service in Nacogdoches, we are here because that first generation of Christians didn't stay in that upper room. But after they were filled with the Spirit, they came out and they boldly proclaimed the gospel to the next generation. And so it was that even Nacogdoches, Texas, now has heard the gospel. And I'm saying to you, you're here because someone before you spoke the gospel to you and the next generation is going to be here if you do the same. This is an important thing. In fact, how we understand ourselves as Baptists or as evangelicals, people who believe the Bible, is summed up in a summary of what happens right after what we read. Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel. And then in verse 37, 38, you can see it right here, that summarizes the very self-understanding we have as evangelical Christians. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Friends, if our testimony or our proclamation, if you will, the way we share the gospel, talk about Christ, loses this kind of appeal to surrender, we have lost what it truly means to be a Christian according to the description that started church. This is an important thing that we don't miss this. The message of Pentecost is a message of transformation, actually from bashfulness and cowardice 
to bravery and courage. It is not an event that is designed to separate those who have the Spirit from those who don't. In fact, it's an event that is designed to unify all Christians from all nations everywhere. And the real question is not where, whether you have the Spirit. The real question is whether the Spirit has you. Does he? This is not a rhetorical question. You need to answer that. You don't have to do it out loud. But think of it this way. How long has it been since you are overwhelmed by the presence of God's Spirit? How long has it been since you have found yourself on your face or on your knees asking God to pour out His Spirit upon you that your life will be transformed like you read about it in the early church? From timid hiding disciples that are just closing themselves in in a rubber room someplace into out boldly proclaiming, speaking the goodness of Jesus Christ to people outside and everywhere. Your life, friends, according to this text, can be transformed the same way these people were and could be characterized by an outgoing, inviting, bold, graceful testimony about God's plan for humankind. This is a big deal, and we shouldn't miss it. There are three things, actually, that happened uh, right here uh, in Pentecost, if you will, as the Holy Spirit began his ministry when the church became a reality, the first thing is that every Christian and the Christian community as such, if you will, the church, it's always local in scripture. It's not some kind of ephemeral Christian community out there that we don't know. It's always localized. Paul writes to those in Corinth or those in Colossae or those in Ephesus. It's always a group of people that you can touch. God's spirit comes upon every community like that and it gives them a clear understanding of God's purpose through Christ for his, for his creation. I hope you get this. The church is sent to the church for the sake of the world. The second thing really here is that it gives us all a robust sense of identity, who we are, what purpose is in our lives, why God gifted us the way he gifted us, gifted me the way he gifted me, whatever I may do. My identity is found through that, and I see purpose, regardless of vocation, the purpose is clear, the urgency is here, that's what it is. And then thirdly, they received an unprecedented boldness in the sharing 
of their faith. It is exactly what is said just a couple of verses before in chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, you shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my disciples. That's it. The event of Pentecost is not this small little event that we may overlook, if you will. It is right in there in significance with Christmas and with Easter. And as the birthday of the church, it is introducing the whole book of Acts, really, the actions of the followers of Christ, the acts of the apostles. And this event, therefore, demands that we take a look at it. Something happens that is very important and quite significant for our understanding of really what it means to be us and what it means to call Christ Lord. First Pentecost renews our relationship to God. We all know that we are just, we're creatures of habit, yes? We do things the way we like them. Sometimes we just do flat, stupid things. Sorry. You do stupid things all the time. Just that you have no idea why, why are you doing it this way? I don't know. I just do it this way. That's what we do. It's habit. And I like it because I always did it like that. You're thinking, no, I don't do stupid. Yeah, you do. Have you ever uh, seen someone order a double cheeseburger with extra cheese and a large fry and a Diet Coke? <laughs> Why'd you do that? Or people with nice homes and big garages, they fill their garage up with cardboard boxes and junk that is worth $10 and they put a $30,000 car outside in the rain. Yes? You can smile. It's okay. You're here. Yeah? We do stupid things. Why? Because, well, that's what we do. And we got kind of always done it that way. That's true also how we worship often. Why do we do it this way? Well, we always did it that way. We like it this way. This is kind of what we like. And habit kills excitement. If it's just done out of habit for no apparent reason other than habit, we're not sure why we do it this way. We just do it this way. Excitement is out. But here comes Pentecost. No more meetings behind just closed doors. No more fear of other people, what they were saying, ridicule and all that. Complete transformation from humdrum to spontaneity, from concern to conviction, from silence to utterance, if you will, from introversion to invitation. We can go on with these things from grief to gladness, from still to storm. And why that change? Because God, the Almighty, visited with his people in a very real way. You can have your relationship with God revitalized. That's what Pentecost is all about. That's what recognizing the founding feast of the church is all about. 
You know, joy, joy will show itself. What you find here is these joyful, excited Christians. And I know people say, well, you can be joy and not joyful and not be really all that kind of happy because there's a difference between just happiness. We're not doing philosophy, right? And you know what, however you put this, if you see a little child become really happy, he squeals, right? That's just how it works. A fan shouts. A good friend that would joy overflows finds way of showing that they even become extraordinarily nice or give you things or help you out or doing things like that. That joy becomes visible in a minute. That's just how it works. And joy belongs to those who have received God's presence. That's just how it works according to Scripture. That's the birthday presence of God to his church. Where there is fire, there's excitement. So Pentecost renews our relationship with God, but it it also brings out, it gives us a new boldness in our testimony. I want you to notice, Peter, if some of you remember Scripture, you'll remember that before the crucifixion, Jesus was, I mean, Peter was standing around a little fire, and a small little girl comes up to him. If you don't remember that story, I'm telling it to you now, right? A small little girl comes up to him and says, hey, hey, you're one of these guys that follows Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. And vehemently rejects repeatedly that he has anything to do whatsoever with Jesus. Fearful of the ridicule and the danger of acknowledging his relationship with Christ. Now, this very same Peter. It says about him, just look in verse 14 if you have your Bibles open. He stands up and he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let it be known. Give ear to my voice, to my words. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus Christ was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But this Jesus, God has raised up and we are witnesses. So therefore, let everyone know that God has made him Lord and Christ. That's like radical transformation from the Jesus before, I mean the Peter before the crucifixion or even before the reception of the Spirit and the Jesus, I keep saying to you, the Peter after this. I don't know how to say it in any other way than simply say, I ask the Lord this, if not daily, certainly almost daily, that I and the people that I have any kind of contact with or or share God's gospel with will not be characterized better by being compared to those who were before 
Pentecost hiding in the other room than they are with those who are post Pentecost out speaking boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. So can I ask you again, how long has it been since you boldly shared your faith with someone? This is a promise. This is not a burden. This is like excitement. When God visits, it will change everything. As I said before, we are here before because previous generations told us about the gospel, about the nearness of God's kingdom. The next generation will be here because we do the same to them. Boldness always comes with first priority. You know that. We speak to one another all the time with whatever is in our minds. That's just how it works. Well, I sit together with someone, and that's what comes out. It's a whole lot of talk that we call small talk. And some of you don't, may not even consider it small talk, right? Talk about ball games or hunting trips or whatever thing we do, right? There are whatever's in our minds. Last night, I had, I had uh, supper in just one of these little uh, Mexican rec- restaurants, and there was a party going on also in that restaurant. Someone was graduating. And then one of the old grandmothers come up and walked around and do that and talking to people. So he came to our table too, and my wife said a word to her, and then in, in no time. I now know everything about them. I know who were married in that party. I know when they got married. I, I know who graduated, when they started school, where they going, what job, all kinds, with dates and everything. Some of you think, that's nuts. I was about to think that. But then I wanted to say, happy Pentecost, because what your heart is full of your mouth run out. You are so full of joy, you got to tell someone about the good stuff that is happening. Are we hearing this? That's exactly what we have right here. Pentecost just brings a boldness to our testimony. It also brings amazement among our friends. You know, it said right here in the text, that they were bewildered about what was going on. And they're saying, how is it? These guys are all from Galilee. So they knew enough about them to know that. And yet they're speaking in a way where we all understand it. And they're completely baffled by that. So baffled, they're thinking, what do we know? that makes people apparently at least they look happy and they speak a lot. Well, they must be drunk. Verse 13. Some made fun of them and said they had too much wine. Really? And I think that's a logical conclusion from people who don't know anything else. What brings this kind of heightened mood? Well, they must have taken drugs or something or, you know, some kind of other thing like alcohol. That's a confusion. And we read that and we think, well, they're just crazy. They, they just didn't know. But how about this? 
when people look at your life, hopefully they don't think that you're drunk. But are they seeing a kind of a joy that they're wondering, where does this come from? What's with this person? They can't figure out, so all they can bring up is what they know, which is short and temporary and destructive, like alcohol, gives you a quick high and then nothing more, leaves with emptiness and in the long run it becomes destructive and they can't talk about the opposite, which is the presence of God's spirit, which gives you a similar kind of high that instead of being temporary and short-lived, it's eternal and won't go away. And instead of being destructive, it's healing. Amazing. But before we just kind of wipe off that verse as, as if that's just them not knowing what's going on, you got to ask a question. What are people thinking and seeing when they look at us? I, you know, most of you that I grew up in Europe. Um, been there my whole life, actually, until 1997. It was pretty common then, and I've met it a number of times here also. That's kind of where I live during the week with, with people who are asking a lot of questions. But it was not uncommon that I will run into people, in fact, very common, that would say, why would I believe the kind of God that they worship in churches? Why would I believe that there was any God? And even if I did, why would I believe the kind of God that they worship in church? I need someone who can transform my life. You hear me? When that happens, nothing is more powerful when you, than you saying that God I know he changed me. But you see, you can't say that unless he actually changed you. That's why this is so important. That's why Pentecost is not something we just kind of skate over like, well, whatever, we'll meet for Easter. But this, ma this matters, friends. It is one of the three cornerstones of the Christian year and celebration, if you will. We need that changing touch from God. And see, then the result of all that, the result of all that is that people come to faith. Pentecost results in that. 3,000 people. 3,000 people saved in one day. 
And some of you think, well, that's a specific historical kind of situation. It happens one, God was launching his church, so, so it had to happen. These numbers are, that may be so to some extent, but may God have mercy on our souls if it becomes rare or not the norm that people turn to Christ when they hear our testimony. Lots of stuff had gone on trying to rework church theology where this was not central. But it is. It's at the very center of all of that. Some of you are also aware of church growth stuff and what churches need to do and all that kind of stuff. And that's all good. I'm not speaking out against this. But I want to let you know that the Bible says nothing about this. Bible doesn't even mention how to do a worship service. There's no, first you have a kind of a song and then you have a prayer and then you have another three or four songs and then you have none of that in scripture. None of that in scripture. What the Bible is full of though is when people keep coming to the Lord and they are attracted to what they see and so you find on every single page of the book of Acts that people are joining the community of Christians. And what do they find? They find changed lives. People have been together for prayer. People who have been together and just share what God has done for them. People have begin, been together to help each other, encourage one another to share their faith with others. And those outside, they looked at it and said, I want that. God has changed these folks. About 130 years or so after Christ, one of the church fathers, Irenaeus is his name, born in 130, died in the year 202. So in the 100, year 160 or so, here's an excerpt from a sermon he spoke. When the Lord told his disciples to go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he conferred on them the power of giving people new life in God. Luke says that the Spirit came down on the disciples at Pentecost after the Lord's ascension with power to open the gates of life to all nations and to make known to them the new covenant. Listen to this. So that it, so it was that men of every language joined in singing one song of praise to God, scattered tribes restored to unity by the Spirit were offered to, to, they were offered to the Father as the first fruit of all the nations. And now an illustration I'll just love. Almost 2,000 years ago, one of the church fathers wrote this. Irenaeus says, like dry flour, which cannot become one lump of dough, one loaf of bread without moisture. We who are many could not become one in Christ Jesus without the water that comes down from heaven. And like parched ground, which yields no harvest unless it receives moisture, 
We who were once like waterless tree could never have lived and borne fruit without this abundant rainfall from above. Christians, hand in hand from the earliest times all the way to Nacogdoches, Texas. And he rounds up that sermon by saying, if we are not to be scorched and made unfruitful, we need the do of God. Since we have our accuser, we need an advocate as well. Now, through the Spirit, the image and the inscription of the Father and the Son have been given to us. And it is our duty to use the coin committed to our charge and make it yield a rich profit for our Lord. So were the words of one of the early church fathers. And so are the words from God's holy book. Father, I ask that these are not just words for our ears, but these are transforming words for our hearts. Father, I ask that everyone here will be forced to their knees by the presence of God asking, begging you to pour out of your love, of your spirit, and of your empowering presence in their lives. Father, as a community, may that be even this 11 o'clock service that we see that there are so many that need for us to have met up with you. May that prayer continue in our hearts even after we leave here. Let us talk about this. May that come up as we call friends, as we sit around having coffee or as we're just at home in the chair with someone else. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand, friends.